Please listen carefully. Have you had a period um, recently? No? And on yeah. that note, I'm going to start. What's up, sisters? Welcome back to another episode of Everyone and Their Sister. My name is Christina. I'm Natasha. And I'm Stephanie. And today we are going to be talking all about the idea of everyday horror. So this episode was inspired by a couple of things. Uh, Right before we started recording, it was inspired by the everyday horror of just like being a woman alive in the world with hair and having to deal with that and ingrown hairs. And I'm like so disgusted and so creepy and it actually works out really well for what we're talking about today. Um, But really we're doing this episode because we wanted a little bit to talk about Lovecraft Country. Um, I don't think we're going to, like, we're not going to talk about it in terms of, like, a review, because there are so many great Black critics out there that have already reviewed Lovecraft Country, and so if you haven't seen one of their amazing reviews about, like, how excellent it is, you can just look it up and you can watch it. But it has really, like, revived this conversation around really good, like, Black horror and horror that's not told from the perspective or the, like, viewpoint of, like, white men and how it's really good. And, and just like all the insidious things about it. So we really wanted to talk about the idea of, you know, our favorite horror things, our favorite horror books, movies, and TV shows, where the horror is actually not about something mystical. It's not about, you know, a monster under the bed. It's not about, you know, great big eldritch monsters or, you know, witches on revenge hunts. It's about the little everyday horrors of being alive most of which end up being stories that aren't about white dudes because they don't have a lot of everyday horrors about being alive. (laughs) Often times, way more often, the thing that is horrifying, more terrifying than anything else is just like a cis straight white man. And so we really wanted to talk about that a little bit. And Lovecraft Country is a a great gateway into that because one thing in the very first episode, there is that mix of that horror of like actual eldritch monsters that are very like based in Lovecraftian horror and the horror of like being in Jim Crow era. Um, Not even the South, they're in the Northeast, I believe, right? Um, Where some of the most terrifying scenes in that show are not when, you know, Jackie Robinson, (laughs) baseball bats uh, down a like great big red monster, uh, but rather like, very slow creepy cop car chases in a sundown state sundown state oh the worst and it it's great it this whole episode is really about that theme of like think about that moment in get out where the like that whole movie is so good and so horrifying but is there anything more terrifying and more gasp worthy than when uh they are driving down the country road and they get pulled over Mm mm-hmm like that when is he, easily. When, you mean when he's leaving the house and a cop car pulls up? Both, yeah. That I mean, time, both scenes, yeah. Both times, the beginning and the end, because that happens twice. So yeah. Because I remember well. I was sitting in the audience, and it was a primarily black audience, by the way. <laughs> um, and we're all that end scene. Everybody gasped. And same, just, same in my yeah, theater yeah. too. And somebody, somebody said no. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> Being like, oh my god, no. <laughs> oh but yeah like yeah like i totally that was that was the best audience experience that movie it it truly it really was like the clapping at the end perfect (laughs) um but yeah like the everyday horror stuff i absolutely love and like i think similarly something like i especially especially love when it's like um showing two aspects of it where it shows like actual monster horror and then like everyday like people horror so like something similar would be like the walking dead where like sure zombies are horrifying but people are more horrifying (laughs) yeah and that i think is the very much the crux of what we're going for um and even just like on a personal level i really enjoy horror i've definitely grown to enjoy it more as an adult than i did as a kid and i one of the articles i read recently which was talking about how beloved is the best horror novel that will never be acknowledged as a horror novel basically by like Mm -hmm. the gatekeepers of the genre 
um, we're talking quite a bit about, you know, when you say you don't like horror, what you really mean is that you just haven't read the right books. Like you're not reading the right authors. You haven't seen the right movies. And I can definitely identify with that quite a bit. Cause as a kid, I was like, oh, I'm not a huge fan of horror, but as I've gotten older and horror has gotten better for sure, mm-hmm. but also more stories about more like horror stories from these other viewpoints have come out. I have like a much better appreciation for what horror is. And I love it now, but I also appreciate more the horror that is other people versus the horror that is very like mystical based. There's just something about it. Like, even though it's like in a lot of ways, it could be depressing the way it talks about it as if it's like a lesson to be learned. I think that there's something valuable in that type of horror. And so on that note, Stephanie, what is your favorite everyday horror? Well, we talked about this theme last night. I was like, I truly have nothing because this is not something I watch, read, ever. But then I realized that I was a fool because it's all set the scene. It was 2018. It was October. I was in the mood for something cozy. And you know what I decided to watch? The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. And you know what? <laughs> that is not comforting. Um, but it's, if you don't know what it's about, it is based on the novel by Shirley Jackson. It's loosely based. It's not the same, but all the character names are used. Um, and it's basically a family horror about how trauma affects your life in different ways and I think this is such a well-done show like I was shocked about I mean I don't know do you guys cry at horror movies anyone because I Uh, did I mean like this it was like like, very emotional yeah this one was emotional so I can see why like I definitely had tears I I was I mean you know me the dead the dead heart of the 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 world was me but I was crying during with this whole season i think because like also it's family dynamics and like emotional trauma so i mean as we know from my other uh book that i picked i enjoy big families and this is a big family but taken to the next level of trauma and as christina was mentioned a cis white male the premise of this book is the brother writes a novel about the trauma they experienced in this house but every single person in the house has a different perspective of what was actually going on and I think the women in the series are actually, like, the trauma that they experience is, so, this has been a while since, but the trauma they experience is so much more complicated than him. Because he, he, even, they're, like, the major crux of it is his dad's, like, what you saw wasn't real. Like, that was a trauma itself, but you assumed it was real because that's what you, that was your assumption. And it's just, like, different perspectives of the house. So, basically, it's two timelines about, like, when they were children living in this house, and then they come back together after a period of time apart because the younger sister commits suicide, whose name I can't remember. No. No? No. (sighs) Like, this, it's so well done. And I'm so surprised I loved it so much. There's something also, I feel like, I mean, like, it's also been a while for me since I watched this. There's something in, like, some of the silences between them that I feel like I remember was eerie in itself like just like the way that they interact like I think it was a funeral parlor right that's okay so that one episode episode. when yeah is it's like one shot they didn't do many takes and like incredible but like the dynamics of all them coming together because like you want them all to be together in one spot because that's where the drama is but like what they like the fights that they go on it's so good (laughs) I forgot I'm gonna have to watch this over again yeah I rewatched it for this there's going to be, but it's going to be different characters, different house. So they're going to anthologize it, basically. Oh, uh, okay. Good that idea. Makes sense. I actually rewatched it this year because I really, really, I also really enjoyed that show. I thought it was so well done. And like to what we're speaking, one of the, I don't think it's one of the most well done scenes. I think this is a scene where you can tell that men are involved quite a bit. But one of the most heartbreaking scenes is when, and actually I'm annoyed now that I can't remember her her name, but the the sister the lesbian who theodora theodora thank you theo theo Theo. um she is Mm. he is one of the uh siblings it's suggested that the women have like a power to a certain extent there it's not like abject fantasy by any degree but it is very much like a ghost story and there's an element of like being connected to other planes so to speak so she's like i guess an empath would be the closest thing you could call it Um, And there's a scene where she's a child psychologist and she's in the house of one of her clients, I guess, or patients. Yeah. um, Who's like an 11 year old girl in the foster system being taken care of in this house. And you, again, like watching it as a woman, 
as she slowly makes her way through the basement, as she starts to like touch the things around her and like slowly starts to feel things, you kind of immediately know where it's going. But she has this scene where she sits down on a couch and her face changes. And I think every woman who was watching that immediately understood what was going on. Theo was seeing and feeling that her patient, this like 11 year old child had been molested on this couch. And, like, there was just something, again, I think there's problems with that scene, but there was something so universal in that moment of, like, that is one of the most heartbreaking things that happens in that show, in a show filled with many heartbreaking moments. I was gonna say, like, the show is really good at, like, with situations like that, and, like, even, like, other people's situations, building the dread because you know it's coming. Like, you know something is there the whole time, but it's, like, it's all about the dread you feel. It's never about, like, the jump horror or, like, the big dramatic, like, cry scene. It's more like, oh, I feel this, and it's, like, deeper-seated. Like, thinking back now, I don't remember any of the, like, jump out, there's a ghost in the bed, but I remember... Theo scene I remember them fighting in the funeral home like those are the parts that I picked up the brother that has an addiction oof yeah the Nell the Nell ghost freaked me out the first time with her broken neck oh yeah and like even watching that like I knew she was dead but in my head I'm like maybe she's not dead maybe she'll come back as like the fool that I am because I don't watch horror but I'm like you know what it could be okay even one of my absolute favorite lines is when, you know, they're siblings and they're talking about Nell and it's Theo and it's the other sister, the one who's like clearly the mom of the group who sort of like replaces Shirley. the mom after she dies. Shirley, thank you. They're talking about Nell and they describe her and it, it having, oh yeah, it's that she has one foot in the grave and another on a banana peel. And it was just like, such an insulting description but also like it really showed how they view their sister who goes through something really traumatic but they're all trying to deal with their own trauma oh my god it's like the umbrella academy <laughs> truly i if you think about like, the just, family dynamics <laughs> i just love sibling dibling y'all that's what it is i do love sibling dynamics and like well who what's more harsh on you than your other sister like there, there's no one as mean there's no one who knows what you are like self-conscious about it's your sister and like they perfectly show that in this series oh this is so good i'm gonna have to immediately watch this again but there is something uniquely horrifying about not just family but siblings in general of that feeling of like you're the worst person i've ever met in my life but also if anything happened to you i would be absolutely devastated like truly the embodiment of a horror story is just having a family well like the trauma of like okay you could hate your sibling, but there's n- you two share a shared experience. Even if you hate them, you both went through the same thing. So it's wild. Families are wild. Like I could go on and on <laughs> about yeah, this. Families are just what a you're traumatic you, in itself. You get, you, yeah, you get traumatized together, and then you traumatize each other. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I also like to point out. You know how you said my love, my Michael Huseman man. He's in this this TV show. Just FYI. The, the basic guy in the Potato Peel Society, he oh. is in the show. <laughs> I was like, he's so basic, I can't remember who you mean. Yeah. The, the, the brother that wrote the book. Yeah, I believe that. He does feel very basic. I've forgotten what he looks like. I just want to, can <laughs> I just, fine. can I go off topic for a second? Yep. I, I'll give myself two minutes. A quick second, we're at 15. What are the, what are the contracts that Netflix signs for these people because every single person in the starring list has been in something else on Netflix. Can you tell me what's their deals? Do they sign a Netflix contract and you're like, you're going to be in three of our shows. We don't know what they're going to be, but if they fit it, you're going to be selected or do they just use the same casting director? I was making this joke with somebody because I think I saw something on Twitter, but <laughs> in every single like Netflix comedy movie, have you know- noticed Michelle Bateau is in I know every ex- single one? I know exactly what meme you're talking about. She got that Netflix contract money, honey. Yeah. And I'm like, there must be something because she literally is. She'll make like cameos in different things. And she's not like, it's not like she's not famous enough for cameos, but they're just like those subtle cameos. We're like, oh, it's Michelle Bateau again. (laughs) See what's going, what, how? I want the behind the scenes info. Someone tell me what you sign when you sign up with a Netflix project because three people I already know have been in three other things. It feels a lot like, you know, like American Horror Story or something or like basically yeah. any, <laughs> what's the director? Frick. It's the Netflix cinematic universe. Yeah, it's it like is. A, like the whole time you're like, oh, this person's in this season as this person now. 
I mean, Nell was in You Season 2, which was perfect. Oh, she was good in that. And You was also something we could have picked for this. I so didn't watch Season 2 yet because I heard it wasn't that good. But. I mean, it's not... I hate watch that whole thing. Yeah, like, I think You was one of those shows where, like, you can still just watch it. Like, even if you didn't like it, you're going to have, like, a decent enough time. <sighs> That's all I got to say. Oh, so, oh, this was shot beautifully also. Like, oh, yeah, I yeah. always, I always, always bring that up for some reason. But, like, visually, excellent. Because it was. It, it had an atmosphere and it hit you. Like, it, again, it really did feel like that everyday horror where, like, everything was just always a little bit dark and a little bit foggy. Mm-hmm. Um, except for moments where the brightness was jarring on purpose like I think for this topic this is an excellent pick like even with the little bit of like fantasy based stuff that was happening with the ghosts and everything this was very much so um and it makes sense with the book that it's based off of but like this was very much so so a show about just trauma as horror Mm -hmm. I feel like when this came out it was very popular but over the years it's kind of like dwindled and no one really talks about it anymore so I'm hoping this fall season people are going to rediscover this again or they'll have season two i don't know yeah i'm excited for for season two sign me up i'm ready (laughs) i never watch horror stuff but here we are all right uh nat my pick is actually a movie this time surprise i did not choose a book (laughs) um it's called i see you i believe it came out in 2019 it's the same director who did i boy i don't know if you guys watched that one So I See You is about when a 12-year-old boy goes missing, the lead investigator, Greg Harper, struggles to balance the pressure of the investigation and troubles with his wife, Jackie, uh, especially after they face a recent affair committed by Jackie. (laughs) Great strain is put on the family, and it slowly gnaws away at Jackie's grip on reality. But after a malicious presence manifests itself in their home and puts their son Connor at risk, the cold hard truth about evil in the Harper household is finally uncovered. What I like about this movie is kind of like Lovecraft Country. It poses this supernatural element, but the real horror is people for sure. And that's what we're talking about everyday, everyday horror. But in this case, the supernatural element actually doesn't exist. This is like a huge spoiler, but it's fine. This movie's been out for a while. Like the thing that they pose as the entity in this movie it's so creepy so like the poster you'll see it it's like this mask of this like creepy metal looking mask and I think it's like a toy that the kid owns in their family and you keep thinking like the toy is alive like the whole I I would say for like a good 20 minutes of the movie you think that's the entity that's like in this household Um, but they do this really great setup where like the entity moves around or you're like, oh shit, this is the thing that's like doing shit to them. Like at some point, the father, who's the investigator investigating the missing boy, is uh, he finds that he's wet the bed and he's like, what the fuck? And, but then you're like, oh, this is something, this has something to do with the entity or whatever. <laughs> the, and like the way the film is done is so interesting because like you first see it from Jackie's perspective where she's just like, oh, there's some noises in the house, whatever. And then it's almost like there's three parts to this movie. You see it from Jackie's perspective. In the, in the second part of the movie, you follow around this guy and this girl who are house squatters, but they do it for social media. And so you're kind of like, what the fuck is the point of this part of the movie, right? Like you're following them along on their, her little video camera that she's filming it for other people. And you find out she's homeless and she meets this guy and they house squat. And of course they're house squatting in the Harper's home. <laughs> So, like, you go from supernatural entity, possibly, in the beginning with the wife dealing with some shit and she believes shit's going on, to the second part where you're like, oh, they have squatters in their home living in their walls. <laughs> and so, like, the whole time that things go missing or food moves around or whatever, you, you make that connection in the second part of the movie where it's actually the squatters. But then there's the third part where you're like, what about the missing boy or what about the son and all of that stuff? And it becomes this whole thing where you're building a story about who the actual monster or like the terrible person in this household is. And spoiler, it's the father. When is <laughs> it not? When is it not the man? Shocked. <laughs> also, if you take out that whole last part about the missing kid, uh, that's also an episode of Happy Endings. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my God. The squatter in the single leg. Yeah. So like, okay. 
kind of like that. So when you're seeing it from the squatter's perspective, you start to build like a clearer story of both the husband and the wife's dynamic. The husband is this investigator that's investigating actually not just this one boy going missing, but several children going missing. And like, it's been like this like serial thing, but he's like investigating and his like partner is kind of like, no, I'm convinced this person that went underground like years ago or whatever. And it's the same person, same MO. And this lead detective is like, nah, it's just like a total one-off thing. And so, yeah, immediately your suspicions are just like, okay, well, but the way it's done is so good because you're seeing it from the squatter's perspective. So you see the wife cheated on the husband. He's pissed at her. They're not talking, blah, 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 blah. She's freaking out because she thinks that there's a ghost in the house now. And like, she's like, my son's in danger. Oh, so the wife's like, the person that the wife is cheating on with comes to her and is like, no, leave your husband, blah, 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 blah. And you see the whole thing that happens with him and the squatter actually witnesses the husband killing that man. And she's like, what the fuck and so she like runs away but the husband realizes something's going on finds that squatter takes her away and like the whole time you think it's the squatters that are what's bad because like the male squatter is just kind of like he's crazy so like the part where the husband went the bed the squatter peed on him (laughs) and i was just like when that moment happened i screamed i was like oh my god and i was like this guy is insane this squatter is like absolutely nuts and like the the female squatter is like what the fuck is wrong with you (laughs) and he keeps causing havoc and you're like oh my god this is the guy this is gonna be like a whole like situation where like he's gonna hold his family hostage blah 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 like you're building all these stories in your mind when slowly they're like building like the incredible insidiousness of the husband instead and when it builds on that oh it was it was really well done I think like I read a review somewhere that said that the the whole movie felt like an eerie suspense exercise that starts out looking like a supernatural tale, but then all your your viewer assumptions or whatever about certain things and how it's engineered actually pulls the narrative in a totally different direction. And then it, it's a twist. And like I found that was the same kind of like with iBoy, which like probably not a lot of people have seen, but it's on Netflix. <laughs> But it also, like, you assume that the movie is going to be one thing or the story is going to be one thing when actually, like, the horrifying elements lie somewhere else. And you're like, holy shit. (laughs) But it's really, really well done. Even though I've spoiled it, I still think that you can still watch it. It's really good. It reminds me of the Agatha Christie uh story that christina said in the last episode yeah it's like it's surprising but i think this one definitely focuses more on like how the people are fucked up because <laughs> like literally the only person not fucked up in this story is the kid <laughs> like the son <laughs> you're just like oh he's the only normal one here but he's definitely going to be traumatized by this when he's older <laughs> so he'll not be normal for long no <laughs> i guess a healthy dose of trauma at this point is normal yeah i think we're all just walking around with it (laughs) it's true yeah like the story is so and i definitely think the the movie built a certain atmosphere you're expecting it to be like a murder mystery at first and then you're like oh no it's supernatural and you're like i don't know what's going on (laughs) at some point you're like what the fuck um and i'm leaving out specific things on purpose because there's certain connections that i want other people to make there's definitely already a lot of that movie out there and like i would like to watch it it's so sound good yeah like there's just like there's a lot of I would say it's so well crafted when you find how everything connects and like the way the story is told, it's totally worth watching. Like I would, I actually probably would watch it again, knowing what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Excellent movie. Definitely suggest it. Can't remember what the director's name is, but probably a white man. Adam Randall. I see you. (laughs) I have the Wikipedia up. (laughs) Fact checking, you know? probably a white man right it is a white man i assume it's i mean adam randall yes yeah (laughs) i can hazard a guess and say so (laughs) helen hunt is in this that's wild oh yeah helen hunt is jackie the the wife and sam trammell who i believe is from true blood (laughs) oh he's the guy she cheats with (laughs) yeah yeah should have should have mentioned that you should have mentioned that if, if you if you know these actors and you'll probably also recognize the husband i forget what he was in but they're all excellent actors even like the the what is it called the squatters they're also very very well done i was impressed but yeah horrifying horrifying i would never want to find a squatter in my wall can't imagine anyone that would i mean in happy what is it called 
It, yeah, it happy endings. It's a ceiling. But actually, you do have squatters because you have squirrels in your house, don't you? I mean, they're not inside right now. They were trying to get in there. I wouldn't be surprised if there were a couple living in those walls. As, as I mentioned, I think they're coming for you. So <laughs> They're slowly breaking their way in to take over our home. That's my belief. They can't afford this rent. <laughs> I let the, let the landlord try to collect <laughs> from the murderous squirrel posse. <laughs> they're just going to like... <laughs> It nuts in through their <laughs> through their mailbox. All right, Christina, what's your pick? All right, so this one actually ends up being difficult because one of the reasons I suggested this topic is because I really wanted to talk about Final Girls because I have been in this like very horror mood, like I said, because I was reading all these things that were like inspired because Lovecraft Country has come out and now Antebellum is coming out. So like all this stuff has been happening. And I had this thing where realistically, I actually just want to talk about Final Girls um and go on this whole tirade but as i was looking at stuff realistically i think i have a better pick for this for the idea of everyday horror because i think for me what this theme is really about is when it doesn't matter what the theme of the movie you're watching is it doesn't matter what the genre is if a woman is out alone at night you are immediately freaked out if you are a woman watching if a black person is in a car and gets pulled over by the police it doesn't matter what you're watching you are immediately freaked out like the tone of the movie could be literally anything and that moment will terrify you to the point that like going back and watching older tv shows and movies where it happens i am still terrified even knowing that they really weren't putting a ton of that in most movies for the most part so i really wanted to pick something that highlighted those moments as a horror movie And so I ended up picking Assassination Nation. And if you haven't seen it, I really, really recommend it. I'm pretty sure it's on Prime, I believe. Um, So I think you can be anywhere and watch it. It is so good. And like, yes, it's directed by a white man. And I really didn't want to pick this. But I found out while I was reading it. So Assassination Nation is about young girls. um, And it was made in 2018. So it's very much like Gen Z. So the director, after he wrote the script, when he hired the um, main actors that played the main four characters, he gave them the script and was like, what is wrong with this? Like, what is not realistic to you and your experience and like how you would talk? And then like in took their direction about what didn't fit right and what didn't make sense and put it back in the script. And that way I was like, okay, I can live with this because <laughs> that is why um, one thing that is very shocking about Assassination Nation is that it really captures that everyday terror of like being a young woman in a not just in anywhere but in a small town in in a world with social media in particular so the plot point of assassination nation is that there's these four friends who are part of this main friend group they live in a town called salem and yes that's intentional the main character is Lily, who is this like very basic sort of white girl at the center of the group. A lot of the drama sort of starts with her storyline. Um, Bex, who is a trans girl that is played by Harry Neff, and M and Sarah, who are two sisters. And I always think this is really interesting. M and the, the, her, their mother are both Black women. Sarah is white, and I don't think they explain this at all at any point through the movie. Like, I don't think they address it. I don't think I realized at first either that they were sisters until I watched it the second time. And I was like, wait, you both live here? (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) But that's the sort of main friend group. And the beginning of the movie has a very euphoria vibe. It's very much about the kind of, like, 17-year-old that is going to parties and getting absolutely hammered and doing drugs and, like, makeup is on point. Everything has a... Yeah, everything has a very, just like a very party girl lifestyle. They like really, they like wearing very short revealing clothing, which like makes sense for who they are. Um, And they've got this very like misunderstood mean girl slash not that popular vibe. Like they all have their own distinct personalities, but definitely there's a specific vibe about who they're trying to portray these characters as. And it's pretty, it's just pretty standard teen rep, I think in 2020. But the main plot comes when there's an anonymous hacker starts breaking into people's search histories and their computers and dumping all their private information online for everyone to look through. And it starts with just single people. Like first it's the mayor of the town, then it's the principal of the school. And then they dump literally half of the population of the entire town's information online. 
and it's super brutal. There's all this stuff where, like, the principal is blamed for, like, people are calling him a pedophile because he just has pictures of his, like, daughter in the bath when she's six years old. Just, like, standard family pictures anyone would have. But also it's got his porn search history where, like, there's stuff that says teen girl in it. And, like, it turns into... Yeah, but it's that kind of thing where it's, like, all porn. Like, the way it's portraying it is this is very much, like, a solid dude that is the thing of a witch hunt because this whole town is terrified of what's going on. And it's easier to vilify him. And the show is really good about, the movie's really good about highlighting, like, every person that is angry at him for this has a version of this. You know, there's a scene where the main character, her parents are um, vilifying this man. And I think it's important that he's a black man. I actually do think that that is very relevant. Um, They're vilifying him for it. And she's like, you literally have a framed picture of me naked in the bath at three-year-old on the mantle how is that different and then the dad has to like awkwardly explain away and try to explain like it's it's sexual with him but it's not with me and like it's very well done in terms of the like awkward leaps and bounds that people have to take um but as all the leaking happens and all more people get access to it everyone starts getting in everyone's business and the main girl in particular has a lot of shit going on where she is Um, sleeping with a married guy who is significantly older than her. So it's very predatory behavior on the guy's part. Like she calls him daddy and you're like, you're 17, he's 30 something, he has a kid. Like everything about it is very creepy. And while her information doesn't get leaked, his does. And her boyfriend sees the picture online from this guy's phone and realizes that it's probably her. And a million other things happen. Like it starts off very to a certain point, almost realistic. Like this all feels like things that could happen. And then it hits a turning point where it visually goes very hard into the like witch trial vilification of teen girls area where it becomes incredibly violent. There's a lot of, honestly, it's horrifying, but beautiful imagery, like visually as well. This movie is really well done. And And when that transition happened, I was just like, oh, we're going there. Yeah, you literally (laughs) go from something, again, that all seems very plausible to this local group of men basically SEAL team sixing their way into one of the girls' houses to capture and kill these girls because they want to be like, they're looking for an outlet to blame for all their anger and their rage and their embarrassment on and their hypocrisy on. And they pick these 14 girls, which is very intentional and very much based on like real life and how people just hate teen girls for no reason often. Um, Or like for doing things that is placed upon them in society. Um, The villa, like the character that um, the main girl is, is sleeping with it, it, like to put it kindly, I guess. Um, the way they portray him ends up being very good because at certain points you think it's going to be too kind to the fact that ultimately he's sleeping with like a 17 year old but no they don't they they really show that like no he's fucking crazy and like this is a predator and it's just so well done in that sense but the thing that really got me about this movie and the thing that i thought made it really good for this was it has more instances i think of that immediate gripping terror than any other movie I probably could have picked. A couple of key moments are, so Bex, who is trans, um, in very, very early on in the movie, there's a jock named Diamond, who as the movie goes on, I actually, like, I really love him. He was very sweet. Um, he is into Bex, and they end up, uh, they, have, they have sex at a party very early on. At this point, you're aware that uh, the character is trans, and the whole time I was concerned because I was like, but does Diamond know? Like, what's going to happen to Bex? Like, is this going to end horribly or is this going to end well? And it was actively a surprise that when the characters first have sex, he is not violent or doesn't do anything negative against her because she's trans. Like, that actually was surprising. That is the state of what we, of what we are talking about. But it does. It gives you that, like, intense moment of terror. And then that terror is then replicated later on when... Uh, Bex has one of the most terrifying and visual almost death scenes with Diamond where this group of like again young jocks after finding out that Bex and Diamond have sex are trying to go Diamond into killing her uh, for again like they use all this very like transphobic language the idea of like 
she tricked him or something like that, even though obviously she didn't. Like, he was very into her. And that scene is so well done. But the whole time, because of the characters you're talking about, they just don't feel safe. Everyone outside of the main character, Lily, does not feel safe in this movie. So you're genuinely terrified that Vex is 100% going to die. And even Diamond, to a certain extent, might end up dying as well. I was going to say, I remember it going from like, obviously it was like you said, it was like more like euphoria in the beginning where it's like party all the time, teens at school. Can I just break in? This movie was created by the person who, Sam Levison, who created Euphoria. So everything you're saying is oh, okay. ah! for Euphoria. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. I was just like, oh, no, these yeah. are similar vibes. <laughs> yeah, like, that. it had that similar vibe. But, like, the whole time, even when the main character is talking to her, like, older pedophile dude, um, her, like, her, whatever, her affair dude, he, like, there's, like, a horrifying element to it. Like, the whole time there's, like, this, again, there's dread building, but then it suddenly turns into this thing where you're, like, oh, no, like, I'm horrified. Like, shit is gonna go down. I'm so scared for them. Yeah, and it happens so many times. Another great scene is, again, the principal, so this Black principal at this press conference. So you've already seen one press conference where the mayor of this town, it came out that he liked wearing women's lingerie. And so all of these pictures of him in lingerie are um, are like shown online. And he ends up killing himself in the middle of a press conference. Because again, it's very much like a witch hunt. People have issues with him because of what they see as like this very deviant behavior. And then now you have the principal who is this Black man and they portray the audience at this press conference as a mob and the principal actively is like you think he's gonna resign basically but he says he's not like he hasn't done anything wrong he knows that he can make up any perceived slights against his students he is a good principal this is shit that it's happening it's not his fault there's nothing he's doing wrong because again this character is not actually creepy in any way it is people's perception and what they are putting onto him as it but he is still a black man at a conference with very much like an angry mob mentality. So the entire time you are worried for him. There are moments where the mob is screaming where I'm like, but are they going to kill him? So that gripping terror. Um, At one point, I think a scene that really puts everything together, Lily, the main character, who for the most part you think is safe, um, is walking home in like a pair of those like jean booty shorts that are socially underwear and like a crop top and at this point the whole town is kind of aware of her and like as very slutty and trampy like the language they use so these two dudes in a car start following her home and filming her and like live streaming it on instagram and then eventually end up chasing her through woods with like a knife and even if you think you she's not going to die the whole time, you're like, she's going to get raped. Like, there's just, you just know what the terror of that moment is with two men following Lily around. She has another one of those moments. One of the most terrifying scenes as well in this movie, her boyfriend thinks that she's the char- she's the person in a picture that was shared online. And to prove it, they're alone with each other in a gym. And you know it's creepy. Again, you just can't trust a woman alone with a white man. Like the whole time you're like, mm, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. Um, but he, he's so creepy about it. And he's like, do you have this mole on your back? I realize, I think I've seen it, but I'm not sure. I don't know. And so what ends up happening is two of his like football dudes or whatever also come into the gym. They hold her down. And to find it, they have to like hold her on her front pull her shirt up and I think they even end up pulling her pants down a little bit and the whole time you're like nope 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 and you're almost relieved that he stops when he sees the birthmark and just leaves her there after saying these absolutely hateful hurtful traumatic things you're almost relieved that it didn't get more physical than that because you were dead convinced it was like this right off to all of that oh yeah this movie did those moments so well i don't think i unclenched (laughs) the whole time i was watching this movie and in terms of like a good movie to watch with an audience we watched this uh at tiff midnight madness and that was a really great audience to watch this movie with because everybody i think had that same level of terror but there is an element of not camp but visual enjoyment of the gore of everything when the movie does end and and the four main characters are very much so the four final girls but they sort of band together this idea of like feminism and like fighting against their own vilification 
it, it's a very great moment. The aesthetic of this movie is like four vinyl red leather coats. And I think that that works out really well. <laughs> yeah. And it's I, very, I like purge meets like feminist discourse. I feel like. Yeah. I think that's perfect. It's, it's, it's got that vibe as well, but it, yeah, it just did that everyday horror for thing for me so so well like those are just a couple of examples i could actively list more yeah there's so many like little subtle things i feel like i'm forgetting too from this movie it's been a while since we watched it there are a couple moments with m and her mother as well where you're very concerned for their safety as black women in this very very white town specifically it's noted like i think it's worth mentioning even just like as a spoiler one of the um only good characters that dies is um, M and Sarah's mother, which is this black woman. And it's that thing where it's like, okay, you still killed, killed off this like black character, but the way she goes down of like protecting her daughter, like she is very badass. She is clearly, I think she's the only good parent in the whole show as well, outside of the principal. Every other parent, every other person that's like very engrossed in this idea of this like white suburban lifestyle is horrible they're horrible parents like lily is kicked out of her house meanwhile when you find out at the end who the actual perpetrator of all these hacks are um it's it's very telling the way that they treat that perpetrator versus the way lily was treated when they thought it was her it's just it's so well done but god the parents are fucking disgusting and that's another horror just like the horror of having shitty parents who hate like they hate her they hate her 100 Mm percent um and they're more about like protecting their own interests and i think that definitely speaks to like again the same discourse that they're having in this movie where like this black mother would die protecting her children versus like these white families like they're like oh no it's an inconvenience to me no thank you they would literally rather kick their child out on the street while people are trying to kill her than take care of her Mm mm-hmm yeah, so it was, oh, it's just such a good movie. I really recommend everyone watch it. Even just, like, visually, it's good. But it was heavy. I think watching it with an audience was helpful because it made the lighthearted, badass moments so much more enjoyable in a room full of people. Watching it alone, you definitely sit with the trauma of it a little mm-hmm. bit more. But it's one of those things that really makes me reconsider that Teenage Girl Defense Squad tattoo because, like, teen girls deserve better than this. Okay, I think there's a lot of things you could talk about with the the way the girls are treated in this to even talking about more recent drama like if you talk about the way people are talking about cuties like I think there's a very clear um connection where like everybody became that angry mob at that principle in reaction to the Netflix marketing of cuties and it's like but you didn't like, some, there are moments where your reaction and your ignorance say so much more about you than they do about the thing that you're complaining about. Um, and that's very much the point of the horror of Assassination Nation, for sure. It's interesting because the same, <laughs> the same people, speaking of cuties, the same people that are, like, arguing against it being there are the same people that, like, I don't know, like, three weeks ago were, like, all pro every, like, any social movement right now. So it's just, like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Like, you're willing to, like, believe just, like, like some shitty marketing copy rather than reading into it and looking at, like, why this movie was created or, like, the creator of this movie and what they've... Interviews that are out there readily. Yeah. So it's just, like, uh, I don't know. People... Yeah. It really... And Assassination Nation really takes that ignorance, that hypocrisy, and shows it manifested as violence. But even when it's not literally again seal team sixing your way into a house and actively trying to like chop up a young girl with an axe um this is it's just taking this kind of silent violence or this kind of like petition-based violence Mm -hmm. to its more aggressive conclusion um and i didn't know how relevant this would pick would pick would be until i was talking and got to that cuties reference on my own (laughs) yeah yeah so who knew how timely that would be (laughs) It's interesting that the, everything you said is like the blueprint for Euphoria. Like, if you don't like horror, you should. But this is interesting to you. You should watch Euphoria. I still need to watch Euphoria. I have not. Have you guys? I, I I have seen the first season. I have not all caught up on Euphoria, but God's in Day is so good in that. Like, it's hard not to love it. 
I'm just saying drug use is more of a play in euphoria and addiction, but everything you said. Oof. I appreciate um, any kind of media that really takes a hard look or attempts to at least take a hard look at the like interesting and varied and complex lives of one trying to be a teenager at all right now, but especially trying to be a teenage girl or especially trying to be a teenage girl who is black or indigenous of a color, like the intersectionality of your life and the number of reasons that people hate you for no reason are so incredibly like there's like imagine being 17 again and realizing there's literally nothing you can do to be good enough for anyone because they will hate you for something they'll hate you because you're 15 they'll hate you because you're a girl they'll hate you because you're black they'll hate you for any reason they can find and so because of that your existence is just an invitation for violence i feel like high school is so traumatic that i blocked everything out to be honest it it truly was i forget much about high school (laughs) like just like people shitting on what teen girls like twilight was huge when i was in high school it's getting sent home because my shorts were too short when in fact it's not my fault that someone else is looking at my ass like you know what i mean Ugh, this is brand this is trauma this is trauma it's never the it's like never the fault of the person looking at you and sexualizing you despite the fact that you're clearly a young girl it's somehow your fault for being a young girl and wearing just whatever you want to wear, you're inviting that violence into your life where it's like, no. And again, you could have literally been wearing anything and someone still would have found a way to blame you. Like, is someone- my shoulder so appealing that it has to be three? And like, you, what kills me the most is that a woman teacher was the one that had to be like, you can't wear that at school. You need to go home. It's like, go fuck off. Yeah. And it's, <sighs> it's crazy to think like, like, I'm sure there's people our age that are in the same situation now where, like, they have students that are younger and they're doing the same thing. And, like, it's nonsense. Like, I, I'm sure I've talked about it, but, like, I've been talking to a lot of teachers recently and, like, the types of rules that they have to uphold in the school are meant to make students fail. Like, it's yeah. meant to make kids suffer. Like, it's not, there's no, they're, they're put in these authority positions for no fucking reason do they know better no <laughs> like absolutely not i think somebody was telling me there was a rule where like it's obviously like this is important context but like there's a rule in this high school where um, the area is primarily black um they have a rule where like you can only walk along the specific like three-quarter line when you're in the halls and there's it's impossible to do and you're penalized if you can't keep within this like weird line what the fuck is it's that? like a fucking prison it's fucking wild but like they have these stupid rules like no hats or like mm-hmm. what is a hat gonna do in an educational space <laughs> like nobody's sitting there with a hat being like i can't think because i have a hat on no <laughs> like what is a tank top who is looking you're the one that's sexualizing the child by being like oh you're wearing a tank top I don't think anyone was ever like to me, oh my god, you're wearing a tank top? I can't focus for the day. Like, no. Literally no kids notice that. They're not, like, sitting there like, oh, I can see her arms. And the fact, like, you can go on Instagram and see that anyway. So it's like, there's no different. Ugh. Whatever. I think that, not just this (laughs) movie, but, like, life in general is really good at highlighting that, like, all of those rules, all those things in place are not about the children whatsoever it's about the projections of the things you as an adult feel like you are ashamed of or should be ashamed of or all of the issues you have that you're projecting onto children again it's your fault if you see a child and you have sexual thoughts you need to connect with your own shit and the way that society addresses the sexualization of children that's not their fault a kid can't do Mm -hmm. anything about the way that you're thinking it's not about protecting young boys from thinking sexual thoughts it's about fucking protecting adult male teachers from doing predatory behavior because you think more male teachers will be less predatory if girls are covered up when you know that's not true it's just easier to believe that and blame a girl like everything is about hating children and i think our generation is possibly at risk for being just as bad like millennials about gen z like you're already seeing where it's coming through where some millennials are very um like the moment those i I really appreciate those like gen z tiktok millennial burns and shit like that (laughs) and the way some people responded it's like just fucking let kids be like be an adult be better fix the world we live in for them like stop being a fucking dick and i think again coming back to the like everyday horror just the terror of being a child and having no control and everyone around you makes decisions about your life for you. And it's almost never about what is best for you. 
It's about what's easier for them. Yep. Yeah. Kids to internalize this shit. Because then you'll get to me and I clearly can't remember my teen life because of this. <laughs> and like those people who grow up with trauma are going to make the rules for the future kids. So it's just a vicious cycle. I feel like I, there is one thing I'll say. I feel like with Gen Z, it's a little bit different because there's this realization that nobody else is going to do anything for them. And mm-hmm. for a lot of them, there is no choice now. They do have to take the reins and do things. So all these like social movements that are started by young teens right now and all of Gen Z, it's it's because of what our world has created. There is no space for them. Therefore, they have to create their own space for everyone. And they're not just doing it for themselves. They're doing it for everyone collectively. And it's, I don't know, it's like, it's inspiring, but at the same time, sad that Mm -hmm. it's like, it has to come to them to do it. The kids are all right. Also think one thing that I will give is that because millennials have access to the internet and because for so long we've been blogging everything about our lives and sharing it everywhere, I think that where we had no idea as children that our parents and people who are older than us had no idea what was going on and we had to become adults to realize that our parents had like still don't know what's going on even when they're like 50 and 70 and you're like holy shit you raised me? Um, I think the difference for being uh, Gen Z is that you have access to all the same social media that millennials are on. You see firsthand that we have no idea what the fuck is going on. And I think that that is very helpful. Like, who, who the fuck are we to make rules for you when we don't know? Like, I think it's more obvious than ever that, like, the teachers enforcing these rules are three to four years older than the kids who somehow have to abide by them. And yet they all have the same lifestyle. They're all on the same social media apps. Mm-hmm. They're all living the exact same life. And I think that that becomes more, I think that becomes more obvious with everything that's going on. Um, so I really, I, I, I like the idea of like a teen uprising, like go for it. You know what? You deserve every piece of retribution you want to put on this world that has done these things to you. And you coming back again to our theme, I think this encompasses that really well. I mean, as Harry Styles says, the teen girl is the most powerful person in the universe. And I agree. It's true. Thanks, nobody, Harry Styles. Nobody would still be talking about the Beatles if their main fan base was adult males. No one loves something more and will tell everyone that they love it than a teen girl. Like, you know how powerful that is, girls? <laughs> Great. You powerful. We powerful. They powerful. Okay, that's it. Bye-bye. And on, on that note, um, our picks again. So mine was Assassination Nation. It's on Prime to stream. Mine was I See You. It is, I believe, on Crave. Uh, mine is The Haunting of Hill House, season one on Netflix. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, If you want to talk to us about your favorite everyday horror, if you have any thoughts about the things that we talked about, obviously they were very big. There's a lot of stuff. You can find us on uh, Pinterest, Twitter, and Instagram at EatsCast on Twitter and Instagram at Everyone and Their Sister Podcast on Pinterest. Correct, Uh, yes. Please let us know your thoughts. Share with us if you have any ideas for any any future episodes. Uh, We always give a shout out to our regular listeners like Shanice and Wendy and Marina. Thank you guys so much for keeping our uh, podcast download stats consistent. Love ya. (laughs) Um, But yeah, thank you so much. That was our everyday horror episode. Bye. 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 People be selfish. I'm like, I want to.